Hello, this is Kelly McGee, and it is October 5th, 2020, and this is the third part of The Burning Man. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Um, So some of that, I think, is... (laughs) So the Victorians love mystifying things and making them strange and oriental and peculiar. And a lot of that stuff is just Victorianism. Because, um, I mean, the symbolism of masonry pre-Victorian era is really very Spartan, right? You know, I mean, the first Masonic lodges met in pubs, <clears throat> you know, all of this complicated regalia and pillar, checkerboard floor, and all the rest of that stuff, Victorian. Um, but, I mean, the, the thing that I think is interesting is this right so once you have a body of men that are capable of keeping a secret that is the sort of place where people that have something to hide would congregate to right so my suspicion is that a lot of the kind of you know eyes wide shut goat sucking craziness that you sort of get associated is probably sub-traditions rather than inner traditions Right? So any bozo can start a society which is only available to Masons. Right? You have to be a Mason to join this thing. Okay. Invitational society, like this thing has no website. We just come up to you in a wardrobe and like, hey, you seem like you'd be interested in this. Want to do this thing? So it's entirely possible that there are, you know, genuinely fucked up groups inside of Freemasonry where a bunch of bad men get into the Masonic system and then organize under Masonic secrecy to do bad things. Um, I think that's entirely possible and I'm sure that there are a bunch of complicated Masonic politics where people try and make sure that that shit doesn't go down. Um, But I've never been a party, I've never seen any evidence of that or been a party to any of that stuff. I think largely because I was a fairly casual Mason. You know, I was in a place where getting through the degrees in a hurry was the norm. So I've seen a lot of degrees, but I'm not somebody that, for example, ever worked my way up through the structure of a lodge. I've never been the master of a lodge. So it could be that there's a whole bunch of inner tradition stuff that I've just never been exposed to. Um, but it's very hard for me to imagine, you know, like, it's just too big for it to be particularly esoteric. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if there are sort of, you know, inner tradition groups that have some other thing going on, you know, is that like, you know, I, I don't think those things are running masonry. I think it's much more likely that they're like little leeches that are attached to it. But it's hard to say. I literally don't know. Yeah, it, it's, so I'm just checking my um, internet here because there's... There's a chap called Jeremiah Cohen on YouTube. He's really worth checking out. He will... He flags up all the symbology that, again, like I say, is coming out of Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, I've watched a bunch of that stuff, you know. He's got, you know, you, all these celebs that are doing the... the is it Osiris? The, yeah, and all the do, that, do what thou will t-shirts on Jay-Z. Yeah, and, and they've got stuff. the hand in the thing and... and obviously the the all-seeing eye or the eye of Horus and it it, it, it's again 
think we sort of kind of covered this. I wonder how much of it is they're just told to do that in a photo shoot and they do it because they want the next album deal mm. or or how much they do it because they know that doors are going to open if they next photo shoot they're seen you know doing this they're, they're, they're going to get that gold out platinum album on the wall or how many of them actually go to a lodge on a Friday you know on a, on a Friday night or whether it's a higher church that we're you know we're all all un, uninitiated to mm. So, I mean, my take on this, I, I, I did a bunch of digging around to try and figure out why you get this stream of kind of generic occult European stuff in pop music. I think it goes back to Rick Rubin. You know, Rick Rubin was basically, you know, one of the most powerful folks in the music industry for decades, produced an enormous amount of the music that went on to become very popular, and was super interested in the occult. Um, so I think that what you're seeing in pop music is very plausibly the footprint of one man, and maybe Rick Rubin had some kind of you know weird lodge of wizards or whatever. Um, but I very much doubt that whatever was happening in the music industry had any tie to Freemasonry, because if it did, they would have been bragging about it. You know, if you think about the deal that they made out of the few big famous people that were Masons and were interested in being identified as Masons, they made a huge fuss about all of those guys. Um, like John Wayne, I think John Wayne was one of the guys that they made a big fuss about, you know, John Wayne's a mason, square jaws, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it's a big unknown, isn't it? I mean, all this stuff, mm. you know, it, 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 it's almost like every single celebrity is seen doing that in, in, in well, certainly during their career. Some of them have do it. Some of them do it prolifically. It's clear that they have to perpetuate this behaviour in order to stay relevant. Going so, yes. to say, going back to the ego trap, when you need to be adored by fans because you you've been in that industry since you're 16. You, you check the papers every day. You check Twitter. You you're desperate to see is your name being mentioned you haven't developed your higher self which is far more important than getting false adulation from the you know or maybe not false adulation but getting adulation from the masses yeah so yeah. you stay in that trap and you keep doing the thing because you want to stay you well, want okay. to stay relevant i think that's a very early phenomenon right so if you think about you know european pop stars nothing right i mean there's no great like you know if you think german pop stars french pop stars italian pop stars none of it right i think, I think it's fine but bowie was i mean his last very last music video was very kind oh, of oh sure you know sure. but i mean bowie spends years in america right and and is you know he's part of this kind of anglo music scene right you know sings in english you know, might be from the UK, but winds up living in America for years. He's definitely part of the same pop music circuit that's largely run out of LA, right? So I don't think it's a global phenomenon. 
I think I think it's particular American weirdness, like the Chinese, the Japanese, the Koreans, none of it. It's nowhere there. You know, French pop music, German pop music, Scandinavian pop music, nothing. You never see the occult symbolism. Everything that's coming out of LA, particularly LA, soaked in that stuff from one end to the other. Yeah, I'm gonna. One exception to the rule, there's probably a lot of exception, but one of them was the, the Nana. Do you remember 99 Red Balloons? Yeah, I remember that. If the, the, if you, I think you can YouTube this. There's videos deconstructing the symbolism mm. in, in that, and that's scary because that was years ago. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then, of sure. course, we've got Glastonbury, which when I was a youngster, that was like the Wurzels from the main stage. Yes, get in. Right. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I am a cider drinker, right? It was a it was a folk festival. The yeah, next sure. thing next thing you knew they they're chucking up this bloody great pyramid and mm-hmm. and whose mm-hmm. headlining is thirty thirty uh thirty third degree Mason Jay Z. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't and then yeah. and is Jay Z even a Mason? Well like, he, he, he has his I'm, I'm just chucking this out there for this I mean I, I, I can't comment on that but mm. there, there are photos on the internet of him in the, the brethren if that's you know dressed in the regalia whether oh, yeah. it's whether it's him or someone who looks like him I don't yeah, 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 no, wait, no. he does wear the you know do what they will oh. yeah the Alistair Crowley sure. t-shirts that he was into for a while his album was called what was it uh, Something degrees. Um, I'm not too up on 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 music in general. I like oh, the yeah. scene, and when that went, I, I lost that's just soaked in all the way through there, right? Like, I mean, I mentioned uh, Dark Twisted Fantasy from Kanye West, and that thing is basically 100% Alistair Crowley stuff from one end to the other, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and, and some of the stages at Glastonbury started sprouting these horns outside. Putting, putting horns on the front of these um, again uh, for people listening the theory is is that the occults are the satanists they, they're yeah. drawing their energy from these people who go along to the festival and they mm-hmm. you know be giving their adulation to what the bible would call false gods so the mm-hmm. st- celebrities the stars and it's all it's all a misappropriation of the the um, but, I mean, that stuff is very in the open, right? I mean, the Rolling Stones have an album called Their Satanic Majesties Present. And, you know, they're they're just right out there, like, hey, well, we're the kings of hell. We're on earth to make some music. How's it going? We, by the way, the devil does have the best tunes. Listen to our new album. Like, I don't feel like that stuff was ever hidden. Well, it's not. I mean, Mick Jagger always goes on stage in the black and the red, doesn't he? Which is the right. colours of the occult. Oh, uh, right. And, you know, like Led Zeppelin, you know, have a whole bunch of very very explicit stuff from Jimmy Page and guys like Alice from Crowley's old house and all the rest of that stuff like I don't think they're making any secret of the fact that they have a strong interest in the occult right the question is does it have any reality right they might believe it but that doesn't make it real and I think they've been very explicit about what they believe like David Bowie's album right Black Star filled with occult high weirdness but at the end of the day, when all is said and done, is it there? Right? Yeah. Did they really have occult powers? Probably not. Were they very famous? Absolutely. 
did they have some weird beliefs? Sure. But is that any stranger than, like, I don't know, Hollywood actresses hugging crystals or, you know, country music stars that say everything came from Jesus? I'd say there's... I'd definitely say there's something... Um, something more to it, mate. Um, look at the Beatles when they did that very bizarre album cover and they're all holding... Okay, they were dolls, but they were all chopped up and covered in blood. Mm-hmm. Um, who was it? Uh, which was the Rolling Stone? His memoir came out, and he's got his, you know, he's got his. Um, yeah, yeah. He's got his hand over over his eye, and then of course you've got um, James Corden. Let me just while I'm talking, really check the internet. So I'm not saying something that everyone's going to go. No, well, that's not true. It was. Um, let me just have a look, because if I remember, um, yeah, James Corden brought out his memoir, and he's doing this business, the, the, the one-eye symbolism, mm-hmm. and then of course what happened the next year, he goes on to get the biggest um, chat mm-hmm. show in America, or, or one of the biggest ones, as an English guy, and no disrespect, you know, I'm sure sure he's a decent bloke and he's a good actor, obviously, but was he really the material to, to, to get that? And James, if you look, listen, I'm not, <laughs> not casting aspersions. I, I'm asking the question, you know, why is it if you do this, you... you, you um, yeah, you know, it's it's almost like an acknowledgement of signing the Faustian pact, isn't it? So let me turn this around from a different angle, right? If I'm in country music and I tell people I'm an atheist, how many record deals am I going to get next year? Um, right? Big, fat, zero. Country music is Christian music, right? Yes. Well, out in the deep south, yeah. Right? Well, pretty much all country music, like there are no openly atheist country music stars any more that are openly atheist American presidents where everybody toes the line on Christianity and country music as a condition of being country music star so my suggestion would be that LA is not a Christian town LA is a weird occult town Scientology the OTO all these weird new age gurus and all the rest of that stuff and if you want to do business in LA, you have to make it really clear that you're not a Christian because they don't want any of that Christian crap getting in the way of their perfectly nice LA, Californian weird religion. So, you know, the simplest answer, and I'm not saying this is the right answer, but the simplest answer is that LA is basically run by weird cults. And some of those weird cults are pretty occult and some of those weird cults are pretty Scientology, weird sort of sci-fi strangeness. Some of those weird cults are, you know, strange variations of Buddhism, but the LA has a very particular culture. And LA then exports that particular culture in all of its media and in all of its productions. Because at the end of the day, I guarantee you that the Chinese don't give a shit about any of this. Right? Like, why do they care? They got no heritage of interest in Christianity. They haven't believed in anything resembling a devil as part of their tradition for 5,000 freaking years. Why do they give a shit? Right? I mean, I I think that what you're looking at here is an anomalous cultural phenomena in America. 
that's gotten exported in the areas of American cultural influence. Um, but I really think it's probably two molecules deep, right? I mean, it might literally be it Rick Rubin and five of his buddies ran some weird occult lodge and initiated a bunch of people part. over the years. And that could be the full extent of what's behind the footprint that you see in the pop music business. Well, I would love to just... It would be nice if it was that, Vinny. Interrupt I, them and say... I would say it's far deeper, Germany. far more wide... Far more I mean, widespread. Do you think it extends into places like China that have no cultural background in the West? This, I would say it doesn't really... That's for the purpose of corrupting our youth and perpetuating this system of perversity which we're seeing now with you know certain productions on Netflix which are just beggars belief um, for the purpose of destroying our young people's confidence their self-image their um, future we both agree the culture is completely fucked up yeah and i I think that this culture is completely fucked up i think this whole satanic hollywood agenda is very much that's what it's for you know the these people any these people have done this for eight thousand years they're not stupid they but let's let's drill down into that right are the chinese part of that system or not i don't think so um with respect to China, they have a different. Who was what hidden behind a great wall for thousands upon thousands of years? They're they relatively a new player in this. Um, well, you know, I mean, they're subjected to it all, all now themselves. You've got plenty of Asian pop stars doing all this stuff now. So I mean, my really? my suggestion here is like, well, I'm trying to drill down on this, right? Is this a particularly Western cultural pathology? Or are you suggesting that this is inherent in the human condition? I think it's inherent that we're very easily bought, Vinny. Our souls are very easily bought because we're shown the flashy trinkets, we're shown the adulation. But the Chinese don't even believe there is a soul. I use the term lightly and like I say I don't I don't but, you know, no I really I really want to drill down on this like from the perspective of like traditional Chinese religion to large degree Indian religion there is no devil there's just people are dicks right there are no sinister occult forces that are forcing us down a dark path because we don't even really have a distinction between dark and light right we just have stupid and wise so I feel like all of this stuff is basically Christian Right? Or maybe it's monotheist. Like maybe this whole thing of angels and demons is rooted in the Western psyche because of Christianity, Judaism, Islam. But it's not there in the rest of the world. Right? Like the Chinese, the Asians. None of this stuff makes any sense to us culturally. It's just a whole bunch of crazy white people business. But we've exported and, that culture, haven't we? They're very heavily. I mean, people. People have commented when they read my memoir that I said, when I first rocked up in Hong Kong, the elderly Chinese still wore the wide brim straw hats, the black, let's just call them pajamas, sorry, sorry if that offends anyone, but yeah, yeah. they'd run along pushing, pushing barrows down the street, right? Mm-hmm. You go there now, I think you're going to be very hard pushed to find that, that, that those people, you, you're going to get your Levi's. You know, your Levi jeans, your 
blooming crop tops, your, your, sure, sure, your sure. girls dress, you know. But it's not, I mean, it's not all one way, right? At the same time as that's happening, everybody in the world eats curry and everybody in the world's, you know, doing yoga, meditation is all over the place. Like, there's a ton of cultural exchange happening and this stuff is flowing in all directions, right? I mean, think of the amount of African music that made its way into America with the slaves and then went into the world of rock and roll. You know, like, it, it's not... The thing that I want to kind of question here is, like, <clears throat> these things to me look very much like deep defects in Western culture, largely associated with monotheism and dualistic theology. Right? The if you're going to teach people that there is good and evil... Um, then don't be surprised if some of your population decide that they're evil. Whereas if there is no good and there is no evil, there's just wise or foolish, you can have a situation in which everybody aspires toward wisdom. I, I, I really think that the stuff that you're grasping at here is defects in the Western reality construct, not defects in the human reality construct. I don't really think of it in those terms, Vinny. I, I think of it in terms of this Babylonian money mafia that, that have been shaping this beast, as I keep saying, for 8,000 years. They're very good at it. They understand you don't want happy, achieving human beings that are spiritually enlightened. You want evil little demons that are all broken, that are all desperately living within their ego. As I said earlier, their lower self just mm. keeps... It keeps... Uh, um, perpetuating this system of um, of darkness, right? Mm. Because when you're controlling the whole show, that's if if all you want is power and control, and that is what feeds your inner beast. That that's the system you want. And when you own Hollywood, you own the music industry, you own the mass media. That's the way that you put this system out, and this is, you know... All of this is in the context of the West, right? Because anything that started in Babylon never got to China, right? Never got to India. There's, there's, there's just no mechanism right. by which those cultural control structures would have ever taken over these cultures. There's a nice clean line of descent from Babylon into the West, I think, but Asia is not, not inside of that bubble. Do you not think, though, through the monetary system now, it, you know, once you once you control the West and you know how to press the buttons... And Five, 5,000 years ago, the Chinese had a fully established continental civilization, mm-hmm. right? Central government, uh, a single language, a single monetary standard, you know, trade across the entire continent. Mm-hmm. All of those things existed in China thousands of years before they existed in the West. The West was a barbarian rabble until Rome. Rome lasted for 400 years, and then the West went back to being a barbarian rabble until the 17th century. Right? The history of global civilization is not the history of Europe and America. The history of global civilization is China and India. Yeah, very much so. And in 1000 AD, 70% of global GDP was China and India. 70% of global GDP was two countries. Or, well, two regions, right? So, when we start talking about, you know, five, six, seven, eight thousand year old history, what we're talking about is barbarian rabble in the very early days of building a civilization 
they had no influence on Asia at all because they were just barbarian rabble until they arrived in battleships with machine guns. Right? Yeah. We didn't give a shit about anything that was happening in the West and whatever weird occult power structure was building itself in the West, it had no fucking footprint in China and India until the white guys arrived with machine guns. Or maybe for India, the arrival of the Muslims. So... You know, I, I don't think of this as being any kind of global scale conspiracy because the West wasn't the global power until literally the day before yesterday. I think he's right. But 8,000 years, is a, that's a long time to get your tentacles out and I, I, I won't profess to know who controls the economy of China, but I think I have a good idea. Well, but I mean, you know, for 5,000 years, what controlled the economy of China was China. Right? They, they didn't have any cultural transmission from the Babylonians. It wasn't like, you know, Babylon to Greece and, you know, Greece to Rome and then Rome to Henry VIII or you know, whatever it was. There was no line like that. Well, uh, does China have, the, you know, are they part of the central banking system? Oh, I'm sure now they're part of the central banking system. There we go. That's, that, that's the kind of, that's my whole, you know, do, do they do, do fractional fractional banking and yeah 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 so i mean what you're talking about is basically the notion that the roots of the global banking system go back for eight thousand years and they're gradually spreading to places like china the the money system yeah but i'm i'm suggesting that all the evil we see coming off it or or all Mm. the evil we see in society is coming off this system this is not a system that respects human that respects any form of life ah okay so here you've got to remember that the asians were evil bastards long before the white people discovered soap you know china had its own horrible war and cultural oppressions and secret places and all the rest of that bullshit thousands of years ago before they even realized that white people were not some kind of weird variety of albino monkey (laughs) right like you can't look at the world through Western eyes like if you want a theory that applies to how the world really is. Because up until a thousand years what ago, I'm going to say this again, China and India combined 70% of global GDP. Right? The West went through a brief period of organization around the room, and then it completely collapsed again for another 1400 years. In that period, the Indians and the Chinese didn't care about what was happening in Europe. Europe was like the way that a lot of people think Africa is today. Right? It was some awful backwater populated by savages. And that's the way that the Chinese write about it. Like, you know, there was this brief thing where Rome got their game together, and the Chinese were like, oh yeah, Rome, that's, those guys are quite clever, that's quite good, that looks like civilization to us. And then Rome imploded, and the Chinese were just like, well, whatever that was, it's gone. And they just went back to business. Like, I, I can't overstress the degree to which Asia independently got itself into all the messes that it got itself into over that 5,000 years. They didn't get that shit from Babylonians, they invented it themselves. Yeah, I'm not suggesting, Vinny, that, 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 that they did. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is this, this, this monetary system has pervaded the world. Yes, but I mean, we think of that as just white people are crazy. You know, it's still controlled by very few people, of which I call them the Babylonian money math because I don't know who they are. I'm just taking the... the That's the perfect name. The, Babylonian the moniker, money if that's mafia. the right word, from, from this text. Yeah. Babylonian yeah. money magicians, because it's the art of money magic. Yep. 
goes back to this, you know, this ancient. Um, but ancient the Chinese place. didn't get their money from Babylon. The Chinese did this stuff themselves. The Indians did this stuff themselves. It's not about getting like, their money. There is no, it's not about there is no single money. route for global human culture. Yeah, it's not about where they get their money from. It's about the, the money magicians are incredibly good at infiltrating all existing. Um, the word slips my mind, but all, uh, establishments. Um, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't see like color, race. That all of that is irrelevant. History is 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 irrelevant. It's about getting people in place that gradually chip away infiltrate break um sub 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 subvert mm. um, so, look, poison right this arrives in the form of mad white people in gunboats invading their countries and selling them drugs yeah. right you know what the opium wars where the english invaded china for yeah. the specific purpose of selling them opium like so for us maybe the experience we have of that thing that you're talking about is the babylonian problem Maybe for us, we experienced that as the arrival of colonialism. That we were outside oh, of the that, system, I, I, and we were invaded to drag us into the system. I have no doubt those boats that rocked up in Hong Kong with tea from, um, with opium from India, mm -hmm. with the sole aim of siphoning off um, silver from China, probably, probably uh, human resources as well, along with a whole, whole other load of stuff. Um, we, I mean, we do have to remember the balance of power, right? So the Europeans arrived in gunboats because the Chinese had bankrupted them. Because the Europeans desperately liked tea and silk and porcelain. And the Chinese wouldn't buy anything made in Europe because it all looked like it had been made by school children that were still learning how to work their hands. Right? The Chinese looked down on the Europeans from 100,000 feet and really, really, really were incredibly racist about it. Right. And finally, the Europeans were like, right, well, the only thing your people will buy is opium, and we're going to sell it to you whether you like it or not. And they basically just invaded and sold drugs. Right. I mean, the European version of that story is so distorted by the need for Europeans to put themselves at the center of the story. This is why I keep coming back to 70% of global GDP was China and India. Right. The world revolved around China and India literally until the invention of iron-sided ships and machine guns, right? China and India is where it was at, right? The Muslims arrived and they gradually drained a lot of the money out of India over a thousand years, then the English arrived and completed the job. But, you know, at a thousand AD, before the Muslim invasion, before the European invasions, it was China and India and the rest of the world was largely irrelevant, right? So... You know, any kind of great history that basically attempts to fold together these narratives, it has to under, you know, it has to be understood that whatever was going on in the European cultural stream, it didn't have much impact in India and China until the invasions began. Right? And and that thing that you're pointing at as Babylonian woe, you know, we would just call that colonialism. Right? The kill people and take their stuff business model that the West has practiced for you know as long as its history would allow it. You know, kill people and take their stuff wasn't the business model of the Chinese and it wasn't the business model of the Indians. We actually made things. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, very much. And and the, the, this bab the whole kind of 
central argument of this this book is is that that the Babylonian woe is is in colonialism. You know, it, it, it's uh, it's it, it's it's in there. It, this is how it's been de- delivered worldwide. I mean, and my, I personally blame the Scandinavians. I think the Vikings are responsible for all this. Maybe it's the Babylonians, but certainly, you know, the idea that there's something fundamentally fucked inside of white culture. I don't think that's a hard sell at all. Yeah. And whether you call it the Vikings or whether you call it the Babylonians or whether you call it the Catholic Church or wherever you want to point the finger, it's very clear that there is a fundamental stinky and horrific problem inside of white culture. Yeah. Uh, and it's turning into global warming and it's turning into the destruction of the future and it's turning into all the disasters that we've got around things like nuclear bombs. You know, it's... it's you know, white culture is bug fuck crazy. Could not agree more. <laughs> Vinny, can you explain to us, to us laymen and women, blockchain? <laughs> okay. It's the buzzword uh, at the moment, and I, 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 I feel probably a lot of people like, I, 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 because I know you, I understand the basic concept of it, but um, if I didn't know you, I probably wouldn't. So... Um, I got to go in a couple of minutes, so let me do this as a very quick wrap up. Um, so, oh, where to begin? Turning my brain around from world history to the tech. Um, um, okay, so the blockchain is basically the next thing happening with the fundamental computing technology. So if you think back over the time period that we've had computers, you know, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, they were desktops, right? And if you wanted to move information onto a computer or off a computer, your choice was floppy disk or printer. They were standalone machines. So that was kind of the first stage, actually the second age. Before that, they were mainframes. So mainframes, desktops. 1990s, we start connecting the desktops together over telephone lines, then we go to fiber optic cables, then we go to Wi-Fi and all the rest of this stuff, and now the computer is the network, right? The internet is the thing. Um, Then that trundles along in that model for 10, 15 years, and then the next thing that happens is mobile and now the computer is with you at all times and it connects to the world through Wi-Fi and it has a camera and a microphone on it. And that obviously has huge social impact, both good and ill, largely ill. So, next thing that comes along is this blockchain thing. So, right now, all of the computers that you can connect on the internet act like individual machines. Right? So, I put a file onto a website, there is a single computer with a disk and a hard drive and so on that is that file on that computer. You see what I'm saying? So then you've got this thing they call the cloud, right? And the cloud was 25,000 machines in an Amazon warehouse, all interconnected to each other, so that if the machine that your file was on broke down because the hard drive stopped spinning, that data would be present on four other hard drives and you wouldn't lose any data. So that was the beginning of making tens of thousands of machines operate like a single machine. So what the blockchain is, is it's an opt-in system where you can take computers that you have control over and you can join them to other people's computers to produce a single machine, right? And that single machine 
is universally secure because it's dependent on tens of thousands of other machines for its security. So if you can't hack 10,000 machines, the blockchain system will remain secure. You have to hack every single, well, you have to hack 51% of the machines to break it. Can I see how that works? Yeah. So we, we connect together the computers into a single object and that single object, you can't change that single object's record keeping unless you take over more than half of the machines in that system, the blockchain. So that system starts with Bitcoin and is horribly inefficient. Oh my God, it's inefficient, but it works, right? So what it creates is a global currency transfer system that will clear a transaction in 10 minutes and is, as far as anybody can tell, perfectly secure. Bitcoin. The Ethereum guys come along and they say, okay, we're going to make a second one of these machines. This machine is going to be much more programmable, so it's not going to be hardwired to do a single currency. It's going to have a tiny little programming language that allows you to build your own things on it. And then within that, people have built a bunch of currencies, They've built a bunch of applications for things like loans or trading or gambling or video games or collectibles. But all of those little programs run on this single unified machine, which is made of all these individual computers that are voluntarily connected together to make that single, what we call a meta computer. Um, so what that provides is a way of doing record keeping for physical records right which is outside of the control of any single entity right unless you control 51% of the machines in the network you don't get to change the past and what that provides us is with a kind of journal of record system where you could take an event put the proof that the event happened on the blockchain and then it can never be taken down and for obvious reasons that's potentially a very powerful technology so it's, am I right in thinking of it as a ledger, like a, a communal ledger? Yes, it's the, it's, so I would think of it as more a communal hard drive than a communal ledger. So you could put a ledger on the hard drive, you could put photos on the hard drive, you could put videos on the hard drive, you could put applications on the hard drive. So yes, it's like a single shared hard drive. And then on top of that, you could put a ledger. Um, and it's super powerful. I mean, it's it's a game-changing technology. So with respect to all what we've been talking about, the, the corruption in the world, is, is that going to be a positive or a negative? Um, so every innovation is positive until the bad guys figure out what it works and then put it to work for them, and then it's negative, right? You know, the printing press. The printing press was positive. It resulted in an explosion of pamphlet hearing, weird political opinions and Rosicrucian <laughs> conspiracies and all the rest of this crazy stuff. And it was amazing for liberty. And then you get the formation of the global news consensus. And then everybody believes the same thing because the newspaper tells them so. Right? Yeah. 300 years of wars in Europe because the Catholic Church didn't want people printing and reading their own Bibles. Right? So, yeah, I mean, I think of this as basically innovation disrupts systems of control. The faster you innovate, the less the control people have a chance at controlling. And as long as you continue to innovate and you keep moving, the control structures don't really catch up with your technology. Freedom through innovation. Are there mechanisms in place to, st to stop the, you know, the evil in the world getting their 
their, their hands on it? Nope. Nothing. It's just an anarchy and bad guys use it the same as good guys. Okay. Because, I mean, this evil in the world... So there are questions in my mind about how conscious the evil in the world is. Is it an instinct inside of people? Is it a way of doing things? You know, like, I've often asked people, like, you know, if you think of a modern intelligence agency like MI6 or the CIA or the Mossad or something like that, mm-hmm. right? You know, I've asked people, like, look, who was the first secret policeman that these in- agencies have a lineage transmission back to? Right? You know, like MI6, whatever it is, right? Well, where did they come from? Well, they probably came from, you know, World War Two, And then World War Two, you know, before World War Two, there was probably... I don't know, whatever it was, the Queen's Secret Service or something. And then that goes back to, you know, Henry VIII's spy network. And that goes back to, you know, something that came across with, you know, Rollo on the Viking boat or whatever it is. Like, you sort of trace back and probably, you know, there's some guy who was like in the Roman Empire, was charged with, you know, gathering intelligence from different areas before they would invade them. And he taught some guy, 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 and it goes all the way down that chain until you get to James Bond. You know? Like, is what's screwing us up that we have a whole bunch of these kind of, like, toxic lineages where, you know, every secret policeman is trained in the ways of the secret police by the previous generation of secret police, and they just get increasingly fucked up and corrupt? Um, or is it that there is some kind of tangible spiritual intelligence that's trying to fuck everything, right? Or is it that you've got some kind of cartel that is like a drug cartel, but the thing they produce is money rather than cocaine, right? They're all theories which have a certain amount of explanatory power, and I think it's one of these things that maybe that they're all simultaneously true and not true. They're all different. You know, it's like, you know that thing with the wise men and the elephant? Well, you know, one of them has the trunk and one of them has the tusk and one of them has the leg. Um, you know, is, I think, is I think it, bl- it may... bl- blind men, isn't it? Say again? Is it bl- blind wise men, isn't it? Yeah, blind men and yeah. the elephant, yeah. right? So it could be that what we're dealing with here is all and none, right? The, 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 the fundamental problem in the human spirit has aspects of all of these things. If the people were entirely good, they'd be unattracted by these traps. If the people making the traps weren't good at making the traps, they wouldn't be able to snare as many people as they do. And then this fundamental question is, what is it in human nature that even allowed this process to arise? Wanting to belong. And all of those questions, I think, are very interlinked in a way where it's very difficult to say what is the chicken and what is the egg. But in the practical environment that we're in, there are both chickens and eggs. Um, and I couldn't tell you what started first, but I know the problem that you're talking about, right? As for what we do about that, yeah, that's a harder question. Yes, there's always going to be good and evil in the world, isn't there? By nature of things, that it's balance. No, good and evil, balance, all that stuff, that's just crazy white boy thinking. Is it? You go to it, not good and evil, it's wise and stupid, and stupid is not the same as evil, and wise is not the same as good. I mean, is is it possible to have peace on Earth, Vinny? Uh, how? Um, well, I mean, look up the Indus Valley Civilization. 
800 years of high culture and no weapons. Mm -hmm. The Mahayana kingdoms of Asia, thousands of years of minimal use of military force, plus primitive equivalents of the welfare state. You know, much as China has a very fucked up, bloody, violent history, you know, China has managed 5,000 years of continuous administration. Right? They've kept their shit together, broadly speaking, for an astonishingly long time. Right? So, you know, I think that we have to accept here that Western culture has some unique pathologies. Right? You know, if you talk to the forest Indians who've been living on the same patch of land for 15,000 years and ask them, you know, is, is human civilization possible? They'll be like, of course, we've been civilized for 15,000 years. We're very happy. I don't know what's wrong with your people, but that's our fucking problem. Right? And, you know, I think that it's very easy for us to get trapped inside of our culture and say, why is humanity broken? It's not necessarily humanity. It might just be the culture that we're in. Yeah. And we know that culture can change. Right? European culture has gone through enormous amounts of thrashing around in the past thousand years, searching for some way of being which is less painful. You know, Protestantism, you know, hundreds of years of war with things like the Reformation, all the rest of that stuff. The invention of democracy, the regicide, interregnum, parliament, you know, civil rights, bureaucracy, all, you know, like... Western culture is in a very rapid evolutionary burn trying to find a less toxic way of being. And maybe they'll crack it. Right? Maybe you'll find something for the West that does what Buddhism did in Asia. Right? Buddhism will not export, it doesn't come across to the West properly at all. But maybe there'll be some equivalent Western innovation that straightens this mess up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I really want to bring home that I think every society has its own form of evil, right? And I don't mean that in the sense of evil in a kind of metaphysical sense, but like none of these societies were suffering free. Even the Mahayana kingdoms, they were suffering minimized, not suffering free, and they still had their fair share of total dicks. So, you know, what is it that we're searching for? Are we searching for a better normal or are we searching for a fundamental solution? I don't know. Yes. I don't know if any of us know. <laughs> no, precisely. Maybe right? we know. But what we can do is we can live with that unknown and continue to shoulder the burden in whatever form it presents itself as. Yes. But that to me is the fundamental practice. Like, I live with very little certainty. You know, who are the bad guys? Not real sure, right? You know, don't necessarily think it's almost the same bad guys for the entire global period. Right now, the bad guys are probably, you know, the drug companies and the finance guys. 70 years ago, the bad guys were the fascists and the nuclear weapon makers. You know, 150 years before that, the bad guys was the East India Company. Like, it, it seems to be like a rolling battle. You know, it's like it's like armed gangs running through the streets throwing bricks at each other but rather than fixed battle lines. Keeps getting worse. The type of bag keeps yes. getting worse. It's a mess. It's definitely a mess. Well, you're certainly doing your bit to um, to make amends with your hexa yet and your your extreme wealth of knowledge, Vinny. Well, it's all band-aids, man. I mean, like, I've not gotten the diagnosis. You know, there is no surgery I know how to perform that will fix this. 
but I can try and take care of the problems that I see, and I can't continue to try and get to a better truth. Yes, that's what um, I feel. Frankly, I feel as lost as you do when we come to these fundamental questions about what is wrong. Wish I knew, mate. Wish I knew. Well, on that note, thank you ever so much. You've got to shoot, so I won't um, hang around after this. But thank you so much, Vinny. Maybe you can come back next time and we'll talk more about the um, the blockchain thing and the yeah, that'd be lovely. Digital Good. currency and this sort of thing. Um, we are talking about solar panels too. Like ah. amazing things are happening with solar panels and battery technology. Um, and I think that that has some enormous implications for long-term human freedom and welfare. Yes. You know, so, you know, Elon Musk's rockets, solar panels, spaceships, blockchain. I think that there are a set of technologies which together might put us I into a world that we're all much bit, happier um, in. But we we're need the social change to accompany the technological change. I think that might be a really good topic one of these days. We'll take that next time, mate. Definitely. Yeah, fun. Anyway, lovely talking to you, dude. So to Vinny, thank you ever so much. I like I enjoyed it. To enlighten us. To our friends at home, massive thank you for watching another episode of the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. If you can like and subscribe, and we'll have more of these uh, I, of chats. I enjoy uh, Vinny, Vinny a lot. We'll speak soon, mate. Cheers, All cheers. Right. Thanks, guys. Actually, Vinny, um, I have a lot of respect for the Indian people. They have a lot of um, knowledge and I think their knowledge is very practical. It's not um, highfalutin or anything like that. It's like um, A, B equals C, you know, it's very um, down to earth. And a lot of uh, Indian people know how to discern. That is the thing that I um, admire the most because sometimes things are hard to sift out in fact my friend Ramola D um, I sent her something that I thought was um, something that we should pay attention to and um, she didn't think so and so of course your first thing is well we'll see and she was right so I think to myself how did she know that that this was not something that we really needed to pay attention to and i really um there's a wisdom there that you can't get um unless you're around people that share it i think our country is very young there's a lot of people that live here that aren't that wise let's just say it uh, so then it doesn't get spread to the next generation this is just my thought on it and I think that's why the Indian people are just they can discern things very well so I'll get off my soapbox and I hope that you enjoyed it and thank you very much for watching bye bye <laughs>